and welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. My name's Josh. And this week Josh is doing the episode, so without further ado, take it away, Josh. In the not-too-distant past, it was the norm for TV channels to turn off after a certain time or for VHS tapes to simply cease playing after they had been enjoyed. The result of these events are something that can still be found if you mistune a radio set. You end up in an abyss of nothingness. No intelligible sound, just a sea of white noise. This is exactly what we'll be exploring today, how, over time, this electronically produced sound, which is sometimes accompanied by a visual of black and white squiggles, has gone on to be one of the most popular paranormal hunting techniques. This void in the entertainment device you're using, whether that be TV, radio, or good old-fashioned tapes, is said to hold the key to a different type of communication, it is argued that this noise is the key of communicating with the dead, and today we are going to be delving into the background of this theory and trying to see if it actually does work. During my research, I came across an interesting, it's a very well-known website, Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, is that how you say that? Yeah, I'd say Quora. Don't complicate it. <laughs> so I came across an interesting thread on that website. And was looking at people's opinions as to why we associate this static noise or visual as scary or with something we don't understand maybe. A lot of answers half back to the usage of noise in various horror films such as The Ring, but others went somewhat deeper than that. One person even referring to the static as potentially being a metaphor for something much larger than us. A metaphor that relates to an unknown that we don't understand or comprehend which in turn makes us feel uncomfortable as, like we've mentioned before, humans are creatures of certainty. We love to be able to explain things, rationalise them and say what the cause is. But static and white noise is a constant, disorientating attack on the senses, an attack that gives us the exact opposite feeling of control and rationality. That may be the case for most, but for some, that same noise is the source of clarity in communication a tool rather than an assault on the senses. The godfather of this theory is a person that Emma actually mentioned in one of our early episodes. It is none other than Thomas Edison and his device designed to communicate with those that have departed this plane. The history of EVPs and communicating with the dead via white noise is one that spans much of humanity's time with electronics. So I thought that in order to get a fuller picture of the validity of this communication method, we should take a look at some of the history, starting with Mr. Edison. Now realise I just put EVP straight in there. EVP is Electronic Voice Phenomenon. It's basically communicating with something that we can't see via the medium of white noise. Yeah. I thought of the, I thought of the film Poltergeist when you were saying about white noise. Yeah, it's been used in loads of film and it's very popular as like a sort of paranormal investigation technique. Maybe for good reason, maybe for not. It also helps some people go to sleep, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's like a, it's like a psychology trick. Like it just turns your brain off. Like I said, it's an attack on the senses, so you just like you yeah. disorientated, so you just find it easier to sleep because you're not thinking about a particular thing. Yeah, probably. So start with Thomas Edison. He was born into this life in February eighteen forty seven. During his lifetime, he contributed much to human progression and modern life as we know it today. His inventions spanned the fields of electrical power generation, mass communication and sound recording. 
and it is this last one that we are most interested in today. To the English-speaking world, this part of Edison's work wasn't known for a long time. The reason being is following the inventor's death, his memoirs were published for the world to read. But for an unknown reason, the English version of the publication omitted the final chapter, the chapter about Thomas Edison trying to contact the dead. Luckily for us, a very smart person noticed that the French version didn't leave out the final chapter, and now we all know about Edison's antics. Why do the French have to have all the fun? Maybe you should ask the French. Voulez all the fun. I think you've just offended the French. <laughs> it is said that around 1870, Edison attempted to theorise what would make his so-called spirit phone. This began with the amplifying of sounds emitted from his phonograph machine, the granddad of record players. It was widely regarded by Edison that spirits did in fact exist and that they had messages to get across to the living. One of Edison's fellow engineers who worked on the project even went as far as to make a pact with the American inventor that whichever of them were to die first would use the machine they had created to send a message to the remaining alive party. That's something me and you would do. Like whoever dies first would haunt the other. <laughs> yeah, probably. Sadly, there is little to no evidence that we know that Edison was successful in his attempts to contact the other side. And it is widely regarded that when Edison did reveal his invention of the spirit phone to the world in the early part of the 1900s, it was some form of joke to them. A trick that the famous inventor was playing to get into the press again. But what is for sure is that he most definitely wrote about this vein of his work in his personal diaries, which must give it some credence to the fact that he believed that what he was doing was possible. Why, when you die, does everyone just get to read your diary? You didn't put a padlock on it. Oh, or them ones that you used to use your voice to open in the 90s. <laughs> what? I used to have one and you'd have a like, voice um, recorded password that you'd use. That sounds very futuristic. I've never heard of it. It was good. I think we've still got it in the loft, you know. <laughs> Moving a bit further down the timeline, we find ourselves with another very interesting character in the EVP saga. Frederick Jürgensen was born in the early part of the 20th century. He grew up moving about the world as a result of World War I and also to further his studies and career as an operatic performer and also a painter. His painting career led him to places such as the Vatican where it is said that Frederick painted a total of four portraits for Pope Pius XII. However, in around the 1950s, Jürgensen began to exhibit behaviours that makes him one of the most famous people to pioneer the use of white noise or audio equipment to talk to those who are potentially not from this life. Initially, the artist made remarks that he would get messages through various audio recordings about a central investigation station that was located in space. He remarked that these messages would be sent day and night that could be picked up by items such as televisions and radios. Not long after that, Frederick furthered his claims. After a walk in the countryside, with his wife provided what in his mind was undisputable evidence. It is alleged that he took his tape recorder to capture the sound of the birds singing in the natural paradise. Although, when he returned to his country retreat and attempted to play the tape back, 
he noticed that the sound of the birds themselves was very dull, almost muted by something. That's when it began. The voice of a Norwegian-speaking male began to sound over the speaker, making utterances to the bird noises and how they never stop. The background noise that Jürgensen had thought he had been recording was now silent as the man's voice continued to speak, not saying anything of any gravity, but most certainly speaking. Then it stopped. A few seconds passed and then, as if nothing had happened, the sounds of nature came back to full volume and the voice disappeared. The theory that Frederick Jürgensen had been working on quickly turned from that of those from outer space attempting to contact us, to those who were no longer living. A theory that was further reinforced when the artist-turned-scientist was again attempting to record the tune of the birds in their natural habitat. Although this time, Frederick claimed that he knew the voice that came through on that recording. It was that of his own mother. It happened in the same way. The recording started off muted, began to lose volume and clarity. Then the voice came, calling out for him by name, but not his ordinary name, but the nickname of Friedel, affectionately given to him by his mother. By the 1960s, Jürgensen had abandoned his art and began to solely concentrate his time on finding the link to the other side. At first, he only used a microphone and tape recorder, speaking out into open rooms and leaving gaps for someone or something to respond, as though he was having a conversation with them. It is alleged that some success was found with this method, although Jürgensen did confess that he often had to play the recordings back at various speeds to make sense of the noises, and that what he got was often in different languages or even a combination of languages which could potentially be a sign that multiple spirits were trying to get their messages across at once. It is also believed that one of these spirits aired Jürgensen to use a radio as a medium to speak with those in the other side. So that's what he did. He connected his tape recorder and microphone to a radio that, and held his conversations with whoever was out there. It is said that the frequency he used was... 1,485 kHz, which is now known as the Jürgensen frequency. Following the recording of hundreds of hours of alleged conversations with those who have passed, Jürgensen spent the later years of his life revisiting a love of Italy and Pompeii to be exact, making numerous documentaries for television on the topic for both education and conservational purposes. It is also rumoured that Frederick Jürgensen did attempt to set up an institute for EVP research, but it failed to come to fruition. Frederick Jürgensen sadly passed away in 1987, but what he left behind was a legacy of incredible talent and not to mention those hundreds of hours of recordings that may prove this theory that he had been working on for so long. So I've got two things. One... I, when you were saying about listening to recording back and it was loads of spirit, I thought of like, you know, when people play certain songs back, like the Beatles, I don't know what song it is at the top of my head, and then it's like a message from the devil. Mm. But also, you know, the fact that he's using a radio, couldn't it just be that other people on a channel are trying to get through? Because my granddad told me a story not so long ago of when my dad turned his radio frequency when he was younger and he was speaking to old truckers. While yes, it could be possible, 
but he found a very specific frequency, didn't he? Yeah. 1,485 kilohertz. So, yes, that is possible, I'd imagine. But at the same time, he's done so much research into it that he's potentially proved that these aren't other people living. Yeah, because they wouldn't have found that frequency either. Or if they did, it's very specific for them to have found in the abyss of frequencies. We've got one more person to cover in the history of EVPs and white noise. So inspired by Jürgensen's work after reading his 1964 publication, Voices from Space 3, Dr. Konstantin Rodev reached out to Frederick Jürgensen in a bid to spark up a working relationship with the Swedish man. This is exactly what happened in 1965 when Jürgensen taught Constantine the ways of communication and he began to experiment with tape recorders and microphones in a bid to contact the other side. What was found from these experiments was, to his mind, something very promising. Dr. Rodev believed that this research gave proof to the notion that there was more than one plane, a physical level that we all exist on as living humans, but also a second level, the physical, spiritual level. He believed that EVP was the linking bridge between these planes, allowing us to communicate to an extent with the other side. The paranormal investigator actually released his findings in 1971, of which you can hear both side A and side B on YouTube, and I'll leave a link in the description for for both sides, so you can go and listen to them of your own leisure. I think it's about 30 minutes long in total. The audio recordings alleged to give real-life ed- evidence that Constantine captured along with his commentary on what you're hearing, which may be necessary, as according to the doctor's works, the voices you may communicate with via EVP won't be as distinguishable as you might expect from, say, a phone call. It is noted that the communications will be with voices that are softer than normal, harder to hear, but definitely there. It is also relayed that the language used by the voices can often be varying, jumping from one language to another, or it may be a completely unfamiliar language, which is assumed by Constantine to be the universal dialect of the afterlife. Arguably, this researcher was however born too early, as he was noted to have been excited about the future of EVP research, as he could see the technological advancements that had occurred in the field of audio equipment during the 20th century, and it was likely to continue into the future, and as we now know, it has. And this would generate more possibilities for research and communications with both the living and the dead. Constantine Rodev passed away in 1974, so was sadly not able to see the advancements for himself. But what is for certain is that the basis of his works are used by paranormal investigators the world over, even more so than ever. I think what he was saying about the plane like there being another like between the physical and the spiritual yeah i think that's right like i think we don't go away really like i think our family are still here like watching us they're just not with us in body yeah so i i, I i'm grounding more towards him i think he's quite real but he's not arguing against the other ones he's just an advancement of what the other ones so edison was first there was more people in the timeline. I just I just narrowed it down to like the three main guys. Yeah. So Edison was first, then Jürgensen, and then Constantine at the end. He was like towards the latter end of the twentieth century. Yeah. So he was like the most recent one that hasn't. There may have been advancements in it, but it was sort of like 
at a plateau in terms of EVP research at the moment, I think. Yeah, so I, at first, I was saying, like, it could have been radio or whatever, but I, the more I've heard about Constantine, I'm more like, mm, maybe it is a thing. It does scare the shit out of me. I'm scared of it, but I didn't really believe it. <laughs> That's good, because I'm now going to subject you to more scary things. So now that we've heard the background to what I rudimentally referred to at the start of the episode as white noise, I have a couple of stories that I'd like to go through that may or may not make up your mind as to whether EVPs are a legitimate way to investigate and communicate with the paranormal. Firstly, we're going to begin with an investigation, something that happened intentionally. These people were out to find proof of the paranormal. The second is a chance encounter, one occurred by accident, but nevertheless resulted in something from somewhere else reaching out into the land of the living. So our first story is essentially going to be a review of an event that actually happened. In 2007, a team of paranormal investigators went to a hotel in upstate New York that was suffering from regular reports of unexplainable occurrences. On arrival to the 19th century building, the central New York ghost hunters began to set up their equipment in the hotspots of the hotel, the areas that the staff and guests had reported the most activity. The recording in question was made on a simple voice recorder and was captured at around 3pm one afternoon on one of the central staircases of the hotel. Present at the recording were two investigators and one of the hotel proprietor's family who was escorting them around the premises. The clip itself is around 10 minutes long, so we'll play a snippet for you for now. But if you'd like to listen to the full thing, the link will be in the description of the episode. After hearing that, do you think that there's anything sinister going on there, or would this would would your foregone conclusion be that this is proof of a haunting? I think there's something sinister going on. Like there was a, a bit of a scream and a bit of tapping, wasn't there? But that could just be added on. Like I, you probably best seeing like video evidence, which could also be edited. True. Okay. So, allegedly, this clip contains the sound of a clock, which I think is very clear in the background of it, so that's like the tick, 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 uh, that's that noise, yeah. However, there is no clock in the hotel common areas, especially not a really loud one as to be picked up like that. Secondly, I think there is certainly a hint of a male's voice on there, but everybody present, both the investigators and the hotel staff, were all female that day. This can be heard from the background conversations that are being had, so the masculine voice has an unknown origin. And lastly, there is definitely the sound of a struggle occurring, but again, 
this was not happening at the same time or on the same plane as the investigators were on. So yeah. allegedly the investigators and the hotel staff were just sat on the stairs. And, and this, th- this noise couldn't be heard by them, but it uh, was on this recording yeah. when they played it back. Yeah. Of course, the cynics out there will say that it's an audio clip and could be altered or even produced to sound this way. But these sounds are reported to conform with the activity that has been experienced by innocent third parties, namely guests of the hotel. So in my mind, it does give it some credence. But do you have any further thoughts on it? In my mind, it does give... Like, the fact that they couldn't hear it, that does give me... Like, if the ghost investigators couldn't hear it and there isn't a clock, that gives me it. But, like, the lawyer in me thinks you need to see proof of it. You need... You need both. You need the, both versions of rent. You need further evidence. You need an imp- independent witness. No case, no case. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, that hasn't convinced you. The clip itself is about ten minutes long. So, if you want to go and listen back to the full thing, I've added about thirty seconds of it into into the podcast. But if you want to go listen to the full thing, click the link in the description, and you'll be able to. This next story is one that I've come across in a few different places. Most notably, it is one that I first read in a Tom Sleeman Haunted Liverpool book. Shout out to the goat. <laughs> Volume 9, if anybody would like to look it up. It is a tale of times past now, as the technology involved is essentially obsolete in this day and age, but does provide us with a glimpse into why white noise is so prevalent in the paranormal world. For a long time during the latter part of the 20th century, It was common for television sets to become totally obsolete after around midnight. TV stations, of which there were about four of, would not schedule programming after a certain time. The rationale for this ranged from budgetary restrictions through to the conservation of electricity during nationwide shortages in the UK. But it was one incident that occurred during the mid-80s that cements white noise in our minds as being a portal or communication device to another realm. Ruth was relaxing in her armchair in front of the television one evening after a long shift in work. The office never seemed to get any easier as the time wore on and the relentless barrage of work that came her way was certainly taking its toll on her as she entered the twilight years of her career. It was becoming a common occurrence that once she had returned home, cooked her evening meal and cleaned up the aftermath. Ruth would lounge in her living room until the late hours before eventually retiring to bed. However, this one particular evening, after an intensely stressful day at work, Ruth was in the flow of her monotonous routine when she started to feel herself sinking into a sleep. The clock was approaching midnight and instead of slumping off to bed, Ruth allowed this fatigue to consume her. She drifted into a deep sleep in her chair, the type of sleep that is only achieved when you rest your eyes in a place that you shouldn't. It is not known for certain how long she was out for, but it must have been after midnight as the ear-piercing noise of the television blaring out static is what woke her up. This signalled to Ruth that it was now time to head off to bed, or she would be finding the following day even more unbearable than the last. As she lethargically dragged her feet across the floor in the direction of the TV, so she could turn the machine off. She began to notice something. The haze of just waking up from her slumber was the first explanation that came to mind. But as Ruth rubbed her eyes and became more conscious of what was going on in the room, 
the more she realised that her eyes were not deceiving her. The silhouette of a person began to encroach the screen, becoming larger and larger as though they were walking towards Ruth from inside the television set. Eventually, the figure ceased moving, but it was clear now that this thing was of a human shape and their undistinguishable face now filled the screen with only dots of grey breaking up the black and white static to illustrate the figure's presence. Ruth was bewildered, trying to rationalise the image she was seeing. Maybe it was a crossover broadcast from another channel. To prove herself right, she flicked through each of the four channels in a bid to find a programme that was on one. But at 1am, they were all off. There was only one constant on the screen, the silhouetted person seemingly staring out at Ruth in her own home. It was at that point that things became too real for Ruth. A cold breeze flew through her living room, visibly rocking her dressing gown in its wake. Literal and proverbial chills went down the terrified woman's spine. All the doors and windows in the house were closed. This should not be possible. Ruth's eyes were still fixated on the television screen as the mysterious figure all but hypnotised the woman. Her attention was then jolted at 90 degrees to her left, as a small ornament she kept treasured on the fireplace began to shuffle its way along. Getting close to the edge, so close that Ruth snapped out of her daze and lunged to the side to grab the ceramic model before it tipped off the edge and met its end on the floor. Feeling a brief sense of relief regarding her ornament, Ruth quickly remembered why she had been stood so stationary in her living room for so long, the TV. She twisted back round with speed and vigour, only to find a blank screen, no static, no silhouette, only darkness. She scanned the room, the feeling of unease had not escaped her just yet, but all was quiet. The events of what had just happened raced through her mind. Who the hell was that? What did they want? Was it them who moved the ornament? As the moments passed, the tension in the room began to settle. Ruth made her way to the door, looking to exit the room and enter the sanctuary of her bed. She picked up pace as she clicked off the living room lights and had one foot out of the doorway. She reached the stairs, which had an overlooking view through the living room door that had been left open. The safety of upstairs was beckoning. But with one last glance, Ruth looked over her right shoulder. What she then witnessed haunts her to this day. The television set had turned back on, of its own accord. And as before, the blurred static image of a gaining face adorned the screen. A face of malice and terror. It is safe to say that from this day forth, Ruth always ensured that she turned off her television set well before the channels went off air in the evening. I, I do believe that story, but couldn't it have been a bad dream? Potentially. But isn't life just a bad dream? Yeah, maybe we're all waiting to wake up and be stirred up by some malice and terror. Just hear the evanescence, just they like starting to blur. <laughs> I wake up every morning next to malice and terror. Don't talk about Loki like that. <laughs> so I've got a couple of discussion points just to go over to round off this episode. So with Ruth's story... It was a bit before our time, so we television 
hasn't turned off in our lifetime. Yeah. It, it carries on. I love saying that, actually. You had the telly on pause the other day and we were both up here and it played. That was YouTube, though, to be fair. Oh, did it time out or something? I have no idea. <laughs> but it did start playing of its own accord. Um, yeah, so Roof Story is a bit before our time. But do you think there's a modern equivalent? And you pretty much just answered that anyway. Yeah, apart from that, like our Google Chrome thing. Yes. Or Alexa, but um, we've got a Google. And she just starts talking about mountains sometimes or says, sorry, I didn't get that. So someone's obviously talking to her. But you did Google that and the rationale from the internet was it has a bad internet connection, which I don't really see how, but maybe that that's plausible. Yeah, maybe. So do you have any theories on EVP? Do you believe it? If not, what would make you change your mind? I do, I do believe it to an extent, but I think that the people who make the video record, uh, recordings, audio of um, EVP need to back it up with video evidence. So potentially wherever you leave your EVP machine, capturing device, voice recorder, whatever it might be, have a camera fixated on it. Yeah. But what if it doesn't pick up anything and you still get audio? Then I would still sort of believe it because then you can't see that anyone's like messed with the audio. But if somebody's playing that out over whatever medium, they may already have tampered with it beforehand. Yeah, so I don't think... He, I don't think... He, like, you can witness ghosts unless you witness them with your eyes, to be honest, or like your feeling. Because it's mo- like we've got so much modern technology. Surely we would have been able to develop a equipment that would pick up a ghost perfectly. So I think you're not meant to pick it up. Maybe. So do you think EVP is most useful as an additional proof of paranormal activity rather than just a standalone bit of evidence? Like it will support and help prove other activity. I think it'll help support and prove other activity, but I don't think it could just be a standalone because you could say that there was something wrong with it or that the, the frequencies were messed up or what was I going to say? It would still scare me. Like I, I wanted to download one of them ghost hunting apps and leave it on our room at night, but I can't do that. Like It would still scare me, but I don't know if I believe in it. So potentially it would... You say it'd scare you, but if you heard something back on one of them apps that you can leave by your bed at night time or whatever, do you think that would just get you more interested to try other ways to try and prove there was a ghost there if something picked up? Yeah, I'd get the Ouija board out. Would you shite? <laughs> no, I would I would do something else though. But um, also I'd be like, oh no, it's, it's, it's just the sound of the road going past or whatever, the car, not the road, the road doesn't move. You remember, well, you, you don't know that. <laughs> You've not seen it. Um, so I think that rounds off the episode quite well. Yeah. What do you think, actually? I never asked you. I believe it because, strangely, this is one of those points that is very scientific. Yeah, true. You did have, you did have three scientists there. Well, one was a, a, one of the most famous inventors in the world. One was an artist who... I have suspicions he was on many hallucinogenics. He was an opera singer as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's done absolutely fucking anything. He wanted, <laughs> didn't he? Imagine how shy this bitch is probably We can't be that shy. Fucking Pope Pius the fucking 12th or whatever it was. Fucking loved him. He had four portraits. Me. <laughs> we all know a Pope Pius. Um, and then the last guy, yeah, he was quite 
scientific. He's very scientific. He's probably the Constantine, most Constantine. I liked Dr. Constantine. So, yeah. I think there's a lot of credence to it and a lot of validity to the EVPs. Yeah, I think there is, but then I also think there's a lot of falsehoods as well. There's a lot of scope for... Zach Bagans. It's <coughs> <laughs> a terrible cough you've got. <laughs> we'll see you in Vegas next year, Zach Bagans. Are you going to have a fight with him or something? <laughs> no. <laughs> we just booked our wedding and our, for our honeymoon. Technically, we're honeymoon the day after our wedding. We're going to go to Zach Bagan's museum. <laughs> Yay. Romance. <laughs> I think we should also go to the Titanic exhibition. Yeah, if it's still which there. Which is a bit of a sore subject at the moment. But <gasps> Josh. Those two only had each other. That was the film. The film wasn't real, you know. <laughs> anyway. That that's something you'll see and hear about next year. There's nothing that we, we're not going until May twenty twenty four. So that's that, there's plenty of time and planning to be had there. Yeah. But I think our episode on EVPs is coming to an end. So I'd like to thank you very much for listening. If you have any theories or thoughts, you can get them to us by email on across the cemetery at gmail dot com. We're on social media, which I'm going to tell you now. We're on Instagram at Across the Cemetery. We're on TikTok at AX the Cemetery. We're on Twitter at AX the Cemetery. And if you'd like to leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on, that would be very beneficial and we'd love to hear what you think. Thank you very much for listening. See you in the next one. Thank you. Bye. Bye.